Amen. Carlton and Anita Williams were students here at Grace in our ministerial school. They left about 19, uh, no, 2001. And uh, was that when you left? 2001. Went back to England where he had been in business before and he started a church and God blessed that church. And now he's back in Tulsa. So we asked him to minister to us this evening. So here's a graduate gone back over to England, come back to us tonight. So give Carlton Williams a good grace. Welcome tonight. Amen. Can you all hear me? Praise God. It's always a privilege to be um, invited back. You know, somebody once said, blessed are the short-winded, for they shall be invited back. So, um, (laughs) I suppose that's a good sign. Amen. You know, Pastor Bob is, um, you know, I said this the last time. I said, um, when we go beyond looking for people we want to preach like, to looking for people we want to be like, then we've done something. And, um, you know, Pastor Bob is a, a great mentor um, to me and to Anita. Pastor Bob and Jeff have been a great blessing to us. Uh, Bible school was a revolutionary time for us. Uh, we learned so much. We gained so much. And um, we're the product of, of SLC. So thank you, SLC. And thank you, partners of SLC. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I very rarely have the privilege of introducing my wife. Um, this is the first time that... Um, She's actually got to go out with me on, on ministry trips. I mean, typically I'm on my own. So, uh, you know, it's, it's so exciting to have my wife with me on this occasion. Um, please, Anita, stand up. Let everyone acknowledge you. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence, uh, the privilege of being counted as the body of Christ. Uh, Lord, uh, I'm not sufficient of myself to think anything has touched myself. My sufficiency comes from you, who has made me an able minister of your word, uh, not of the letter, but of the spirit. So right now, by faith, I step into your grace that makes preaching easy and hearing the word of sweet delight. Help us, Holy Spirit, this evening, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, There was an occasion where the great Christian writer and theologian, C.S. Lewis, walked into um, a debate about religion. You know, he walked into this room and different people were debating the virtues of different kinds of religion. And they were trying to establish whether there was anything really different uh, about the different religions on earth. And after listening for a few moments, uh, C.S. Lewis stood up and said, you know, it's obvious that Christianity stands apart from every other religion. And the, the point of difference is the simple word grace. Grace is what separates the Christian message from every other message out there. All world religions are founded on the doing of good works as the basis for justification before God and acceptance by Him. As far as they're concerned, good people are accepted and bad people are rejected. All religions believe this except Christianity. In Christianity, you can't be good enough to deserve heaven. For all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. You know, if you took an exam, it doesn't really matter if you had 2% or 7%. I mean, if the pass mark was 70%, you failed. Are you with me? And from a righteousness perspective, the Bible makes it clear that um, our righteousness is like filthy rags in the sight of God. We are all in equal need of grace. You know, the value of right thinking, the value of right action... The value of right speaking is exalted in Christianity, but never as a basis 
for salvation. The need for grace is universal. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 6, that to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So grace stands alone as the basis for acceptance by God. You know, after you've been a Christian for a few years, and um, especially when you begin to see some of the fruits of righteousness manifest in your life, there can be a, a strong temptation to start looking down on other people who maybe, you know, who still may still be struggling with some of the things that you have overcome. And, and sometimes we tend to forget over the years that um, we are who we are by the grace of God. You know, I remember the story of the Good Samaritans, a story we all know. You know, the priest and the Levite that avoided that man that um, fell to the robbers um, forgot the fact that if they had been the ones walk, if they just walked down the same path a few minutes before, they would have been the ones that were in that state of predicament. So you and I must never forget that we are who we are by the grace of God. Everything we receive, we receive by grace from a God of grace because he is a God of grace. Now, now let me attempt to define grace now we all know that grace is defined as undeserved favor so grace is never deserved romans eleven six 6 says if it is grace then it is no longer works otherwise grace is no longer grace and if it is works then it is no longer grace otherwise works is no longer works it's either by grace or it's by works you can't have part grace and part works the oil of grace is always poured into empty hands. Grace, the person whose hands are empty, the person who um, has no means of, uh, you know, of, of recompense or of reward, is the person that is most um, appropriate as a candidate for grace because the oil of grace is always poured in empty hands. So grace is defined as undeserved favor. You know, I'm always reluctant to use the word favor because of a wrong perception about what favor really means. You know, sometimes people think of favor as, you know, you need, um, you need some help. You go to somebody who, um, who is able to help you with it. You have to beg them a little bit. And after a while, they decide to extend favor towards you. So sometimes when we think about grace and we think about God and we think about grace in terms of being undeserved favor, we, we have this mental picture of going before the throne of grace or going before the throne of God and imploring and asking and, um, you know, and begging a little bit and after a while the Lord will extend it to us. Well, that is not biblical grace. Because that's not biblical favor. The favor of God is not passive, it's active. The favor of God seeks you out. The favor of God redeems. The favor of God takes action. So grace is always undeserved and always has the power of God at work for your, for your redemption. So if we're to give a fuller definition of, of what grace really is, I'll say grace is God's willingness to use his power on our behalf, to meet our needs and to achieve his purpose. Grace is God's willingness to use his power on our behalf. Whenever we talk about grace, we talk about the power of God because whenever the grace of God is in motion, the power of God is in motion. It's God's willingness to use his power on our behalf to achieve or to, to meet our needs and to achieve his purpose. 
And this power is made available freely and abundantly. God is willing to use his power on our behalf to meet our needs. God makes his power available freely without reservation and abundantly. You know, I've titled the message this evening, Grace Alone. Grace Alone. And, and, and if you want a subtitle, I've called it, Grace to You, In You, and Through You. God's grace, God's power is available to you. God's grace is at work in you. And God seeks to manifest His grace through you. Let's begin this evening by turning our Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'll start reading from verse 4. It says, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places. Verse 7, That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look at verse 7 again. It says that in the ages to come he might show or he might demonstrate the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. Through Christ Jesus. The exceeding riches of his grace. Now we already know that grace is God's willingness to use his power on our behalf. God's power is available to you and I as Christians. But the Bible says that throughout all eternity. Not only will we applaud the grace of God. Not only would we celebrate the grace of God. But would celebrate the exceeding riches of his grace. So not only is grace extended towards us, but we have exceeding grace. We have rich grace. We have abundant grace. The word exceeding from the Greek is the Greek word hooper below, which means surpassing or beyond. Think in your minds of a picture of, you know, throwing a ball and, and you know, there have been a world record for ball throwing. And, uh, you know, a, a particular distance has been achieved. And somebody comes along and goes over way beyond what is imaginable. Now the grace of God, the power of God that is available to you and in you, goes beyond everything you will ever need in this life. It is exceeding, it is surpassing, it is rich, and it is abundant. You know, as I was meditating on this, on this message... Uh, a few hours ago, I was, uh, I was reminded of a song that I learned when I was a kid about the love of God. You know, anyone here remember the song that says, it's so high you can get, never get over it, so low you can never get under it, so wide you can never get out of it? Well, that is what the grace of God is. The grace of God is so high you can never get over it. The power of God that is available to you as a believer, 
The power of God that's available to you as a believer is so deep you can never get below it. And so wide you can never get out of it. The Bible says for all eternity you and I will applaud the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You know the marvelous feature of the kindness of God is that it was extended towards us when we were in rebellion against God. You know, a friend of mine said, all brag rights belong to God. The rights to brag, the rights to boast, all belong to God because we had nothing to do with it. You know, in the book of Titus, the Bible speaks again about the kindness of God. And, and talks about the fact that God demonstrated his kindness towards us in that not by our works of righteousness, where we say, but by his mercy, he has saved us. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we're yet sinners... Christ died for us. Romans 5.20 confirms that there is nobody that is beyond the reaches of God's grace. For it says that when sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The surpassing grace of God is extended towards you. It is constantly at work on your behalf even when you are unaware of it. You know the foundation of grace is love. We all know the love of God is agape. Agape is self-giving and it seeks the other person's highest good. Agape is not motivated by the promise of reciprocity, but by the value that God has placed on you. Even if you never came to him, he would still love you. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, it's not the world as a unit, it's the world as individual people. Everybody here. God so loved everybody individually that he demonstrated by that love by giving his son for them. Now, not everyone is ever going to receive Jesus Christ. So even without a guarantee of reciprocity, because God has placed a high value on humanity, he extended his power and he gave his best. God has given himself to us. You know, Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him freely for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He that extended his power towards us when we were yet sinners, is there anything else that he will not in the same way freely give to us? God's grace, as Pastor Bob mentioned a few minutes ago, is not limited to just the righteous. Matthew 5.45 says, He makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So when you come before God, expect grace. Whenever you come before God, expect grace. Because grace is not exclusive to the righteous. No, it has been freely given to the world. Unfortunately, we have this perception that grace is, special grace is reserved for the righteous. But that's not true. Because the highest manifestation of grace was the giving of his son. And he gave his son for the world. Hebrews 4.16 says we shall come boldly before the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In time of need. So come and receive grace. Come and receive the free exercise of the power of God. There is room for the sinner at the throne of God. 
There is room for the evil person. There is room for the impure person. There is room for the imperfect at the throne of God. The blood of Jesus was the price of grace. God judged Jesus that he may be able to lavish his grace on us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Ephesians 3.24 says, Being freely justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redeeming work of the shed blood of Christ has satisfied the requirements of eternal justice for salvation. God does not deal with us on the basis of justice. He deals with us on the basis of grace. For Christ has fully satisfied the justice of God. So 2 Peter 1-2 says, His divine power, His grace, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That means you and I don't need to bombard the gates of heaven anymore. I'll say that again. We don't need to bombard the gates of heaven anymore. The gates of heaven are open to us because the grace of God is extended towards us. You know, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. But unfortunately, I believe that there has been a wrong emphasis because people tend to think that their faith is what makes God act on their behalf. That is not true. Your faith is not strong enough to get God to move on your behalf. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 verse 2, that by faith we have access into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It is the power of God, the grace of God that makes all things available to us. It is through faith that we receive what God has already provided by grace. Everybody here. An example is is your salvation. You and I didn't get saved when we finally came to Jesus. You and I, the provision, the power of salvation, the grace of God was made available when Jesus went to the cross, died, was buried, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. That is when the power of God was made available. And we didn't need to pray for that to happen. Everybody here? Yeah, we didn't need to pray for the power of God to be extended on our behalf. But it was through faith through the exercise of our faith that we became recipients of the power that God had already made available by his grace. So faith is the hand that receives what God has already provided by grace. Grace is the power that provides. Faith is the hand that receives. You don't need to arm wrestle with God because in the first place you can't win if you arm wrestle with God. But in the second place, God's hands are open towards us. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. It's very important when we come before the presence of God to understand the relationship between faith and the provision of God. A lot of people focus on their faith. A lot of people focus on, have I got a strong faith or weak faith? Have I got little faith or big faith? That is the wrong focus. You need to focus on the provision of God. You need to focus on the grace of God. Because the response to grace is faith. Look at Matthew chapter 6. I'll read from verse 26. 
Now the Lord is speaking here. Now I want you to follow me on this. It says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Everyone say heavenly Father. Are you, not more va- are you of not more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Uh, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into, into the oven, will he not much more, everyone say much more, Clothe you, O you of little faith. Now, when you understand something here. Now, notice in the first part of that passage, Jesus, speaking of the birds of the air, makes a statement. He says that the birds of the air neither sow nor reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I believe it's significant that he, he used the word your heavenly Father. He didn't just say God feeds them. Now, what does that mean? He's saying this. That, you know, your father, who has a special relationship with you as a father-to-child relationship, look at what your father does to those who are not in the family. Your father lavishly provides for the birds of the air. Your father lavishly, your father... Your father lavishly provides for the lilies of the field. Your father does that. Now, now it's not based on relationship. He's not their father. Are you with me? And it's not a reward either because these guys aren't sowing or reaping. These guys aren't spinning or toiling. But your father, your father lavishly provides for them. Now, if your father would extend such power and such provision to those who are outside the family, what kind of provision do you think the father has got reserved for you? You see, when we understand grace, when we focus on grace, when we focus on the love of God, when we focus on the provision of God for the believer... Our natural response is faith. As I said earlier, Romans 5-2 says we have access by faith into grace. The purpose or God's purpose for your life has been set before the foundations of the world. His plan for your life has already been put in motion on your behalf. Because he's your father. His power is already at work. Within you. To bring you to your destination. Allow grace to inform your expectation in life. You know the Bible says in Ephesians 3.20 that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. According to the power that is at work within us. The power of grace is at work within us. But faith can only receive what grace has provided. You know the Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
Now if on the inside of us, through our expectation, we limit the operation of grace in our lives, there's very little that God can do. And the Bible says in the book of Psalm 78 verse 41, that the children of Israel limited the God of Israel. His power had made all things available to them. But they had very poor expectations. They were still struggling for provision. They were still struggling, worrying about how they will be fed. They were worrying about the little things of life. And rather than trusting in God and having confidence in the grace of God, the Bible says they limited the God of Israel. And that's why the Apostle Paul, his only prayer in the epistles was God, open our eyes. To what you have already provided for us, that we may walk in prepared things. God, open our eyes to your grace. In, in Ephesians 1.17, it said, I pray the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you will, may know what is the hope of his calling. And what the riches of his inheritance in the saints and what the exceeding greatness of his power in us and through us who believe. He said, God, open our eyes that we may see what you have already provided and as a result we may have a relationship of expectation. The grace of God is available to us. The hands of God are open to us as believers. Whenever we come before God, expect grace. Grace to you. But the grace of God is already working in you. You know, many years ago, I, re- I learned a song. I always learn these songs. I'm not a good singer, by the way. But I do learn the songs and try not to sing them in public. <laughs> you know, but there was a song I learned in, in college. Oh, man, I'm going to try to sing it now. It goes something like this. It says, I will remind you to stare up the gift. Rekindle the flame. Fan in the fire. Fire that's burning deep in your heart, placed there by God to set you apart. So basically it says, I'll remind you to stir up the gift, rekindle the flame, fan in the fire, fire that's burning deep in your heart, placed there by God to set you apart. You know, there is a grace, there is a fire that's burning on the inside of you. That God has placed on the inside of you to set you apart. God has placed something within your heart that sets you apart from everyone else. That is the grace of God that is already at work within you. Turn your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans 12 verse 4. Romans 12.4 says for us, we have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function. So we've been many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Our ministry, let us use it. In our ministry, he who teaches and teaching, 
He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 6 says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. The gift on the inside of you is a manifestation of the grace of God. You know the word grace is the Greek word charis. But the word gift is the, is the Greek word charismata. So a gift is a manifestation of grace. Everyone here. Now remember... That grace is God's willingness to use his power on your behalf. To meet your needs and to achieve his purpose. That means that your gift, the gift of God on the inside of you, is a manifestation of God's power on your behalf. Are you with me? The gift of God on the inside of you is a manifestation of God's power on your behalf to meet your needs. And to achieve his purpose. This means that God's power is already at work within you. When you were born, the power of God was already at work within you. It means that when you are operating in your gift, you are operating in the supernatural. Are you with me? When you are operating in your gift, because a gift is the manifestation of the power of God to meet your need. It means when you operate in your gift, you are operating in the power of God. It means that when you stay in your gift, you are staying in the place of God's power. Do you want to see someone operate in the extraordinary? Look for someone operating in their gift. You know, I don't listen to a lot of music. I mean, my, uh, you know, when we got into the car, got the hire car yesterday, and we put on some, put, turn on the radio, there was, um, what's the local music? Is it country and western? Yeah. Yes, yes, there was quite a, a bit of country and western, and I was trying to sort of get the rhythm of it, but I, I, it was sort of lost on me. All right, because unfortunately, I'm a, I'm a jazz guy, okay? <laughs> but I, I tried to get into the flow, but, you know, I probably need to go to one of the, you know, to one of the barn dances or something to really get into the rhythm, into the rhythm of it, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm not a great R&B um, listener, but I, I, on occasion I've heard Whitney Houston sing. Anyone ever heard Whitney Houston sing, I Will Always Love You? Well, it's, it's not practice that got her there. It takes more than practice to do that. I mean, you heard me sing a few minutes ago. I mean, if I started practicing from now till kingdom come, I'm not going to be able to sing like Whitney. All right? Because there, there is grace there. There is a talent. It's more, than, it's more than practice. It's talent. I mean, many years ago, I had the privilege of being, um, I had to watch one of, um, uh, you know, I was, re- I, I was really into basketball until Michael Jordan retired, you know, and then I just, you know, uh, and I was at a live um, match of, of uh, Michael that Michael played, he was playing against Cleveland and um, uh, in characteristic Michael fashion you know, he, he scored the deciding you know, deciding point in the last quarter at the last moment 
You know, the ball was in the air and the whistle went and everyone, you know, it was one of those breathtaking moments because the whole stadium was quiet and we all watched in awe as the ball went behind the net. Now, now it takes more than practice to do that. And there's a lot of practice there. But, but, but it, there's something else. There's almost, there's a, there's a God factor there. You know, I remember Pastor Bob. I remember the first time I ever heard Pastor Bob was, I believe, in 85. You know, I walked into, uh, I believe it was the Maybe Center. I think it was, um, it was what explosion, 85, I think. And, you know, I just walked in the afternoon and I heard this preacher on stage and I was talking about the sons of Skeever. Uh, and in awe, I watched how he connected the sons of Skeever, mentioned the book of Acts to a, to a Pharisee in the, in the Gospels. You know, and I sat down there and my jaw dropped and I thought, you know, this is a lot more than just study, man. There's something happening here. There's a, there's a God factor at work there Uh, are you with me now there is practice but there is grace grace is the power of god already at work within you now the bible says that each one has received the gift when you walk in your grace you walk in the power of god when you touch when you walk in grace when you walk in your gift you walk in the supernatural now that gift is going to meet your need Because grace is the oppression of the power of God to meet your need and to achieve his purpose. That gift, when you walk in that gift, your needs are going to be met abundantly. Do you want to fulfill the purpose of God in your life? When you walk in your gift, you unlock the secret of your destiny. You unlock the secret of your destiny. Romans 10.29 says the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. They are irrevocable. He will not withdraw the operation of his power in your life because his grace is not based on your good works. It's based on his good works. Everybody here. And that's why, you know, it tickles me when, you know, people like Sinatra get up and sing, you know, I did it my way. Or was it Bobby Brown that said it's my prerogative? You know, I'll live, I'll do what I want. And the day he got up to sing that song, he didn't have a sore throat. You know, he sang with such talent and eloquence. But he didn't realize that even though he was dishonoring God, he was using, he was, the power of God was what was facilitating what he was doing. You know, God will not withdraw his gifting just because you're not faithful to it. Those people unlocked something because they identified the, where the power of God was operating in their lives, but they just didn't honor God with it. But God is such, so full of grace. That he won't necessarily withdraw the gift just because you're not honoring him with it. So when you locate your gift, you locate your destiny. You know, there's such a struggle regarding having our needs met. There's such a struggle regarding fulfilling God's will for our lives. And, you know, as Christians, we don't want to miss it because we're good people. But, you know, the secret is walking your gift. The grace of God is constantly at work on the inside. It's already at work on the inside of you. The, the, the secret to your life is really no secret. Because right from when you were a child, that gift, that power, that, would, that, would, that is the secret to the meeting of your needs abundantly. And the secret to your fulfilling God's will on, in your life has already been in operation. Look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. Proverbs 12, 11.
Proverbs 12, 11. You know, when, um, when I came across this verse, it's totally solved all my problems regarding meeting my needs or my needs being met and fulfilling God's will for my life. Proverbs 12, 11 says, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. But he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. I'll read it again. It says, he who tills his land will be satisfied with bread. But he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. Um, The NIV puts it this way. It says, he who works his land will have abundant food. But he who chases fantasy lacks judgment. Now, if we're going to look at that verse critically, um, it says abundant food is always the result of doing certain things. So if you were to write an equation, we would say abundant food equals finding your land and what? Tilling it. He who works his land will have abundant food. Finding your land and tilling it. Or if I'm to use business terms, you know, because, you know, um, I might be talking to an MBA crowd here. We could say wealth equals value times leverage. When you locate your place of value, when you locate your grace, and you leverage it, it would always equate to wealth. Are you with me? When you locate your place of value, you have a place of value. When you locate your place of value and own that value and learn to leverage it or learn to till it, you will have abundant food and you will walk in wealth. But it says, he who chases fantasy lacks judgment. You know, the greatest or one of the greatest illusions the devil has created on earth is the illusion of limited resources. He has created an illusion that you don't have enough. You don't have what it takes to be successful. You were born on the wrong side of the track, so it can never really quite work for you. You're not in the right company, so it's never going to happen for you. The devil has created an illusion of limited resources. And as a result, it is fear that motivates all our actions. You know, when you think there isn't enough, you'll be afraid. And when fear motivates your actions, you limit your experience of the grace of God because the grace of God or the power of God can only be accessed by faith. You can never receive the results of faith by walking in fear. I mean, it doesn't really matter how quickly you pray. If the foundation of your prayer is fear, you can never receive the results of faith. And the devil has created sort of an illusion of limited resources that what tends to happen is that people are always chasing after something. There is no stability, no daring action of faith. The grass is always greener on the other side. Now the reason, of course, that the grass is greener on the other side is because we spend all our time watching the people on the other side, watching their their grass, while we're standing there in our patch, Doing nothing. 
Are you with me? Yeah? Um, the Bible says, he who works his land will have abundant food. God has given you a land to work. Land for one person is fantasy for another. Don't get into things or business areas because somebody else is successful at it. What is your land? What is your place of grace? When you are outside your place of grace or outside your flow, life will be hard. Are you with me? Life will be difficult because you are not operating in the supernatural. Because walking in your gift is walking in the supernatural. When you are outside your gift, life will always be difficult. Find your place of least resistance and follow it. Because that is where God is at work in your life. What is it that you do that doesn't seem like work for you? Is it in administration? Is it in deal making? Is it in creating? Is it in trading? What is it? That is where God is at work in your life. You know, I always wanted to be a prophet. I, I, I don't know why, but I always wanted to be a prophet. You know, I had the privilege of, you know, being in the presence of some really accurate prophets. And it just seemed like an easy job, you know. They come down and, you know, we worship a little bit. You know, they don't really have to prepare. And then all of a sudden, you know, the power of God just hovers on their lives. And, you know, they get an unction and they speak into your life and, you know, interpret the will and purpose of God. You know, I remember when I was in college, you know, we had some guys that they weren't prophets, but they had a very strong sort of prophetic unction. You know, and I mean, I, I'm someone that's been called to teach. And it's an amazing thing that when this guy spoke, I always took, you know, copious notes because I could spend the next three months or six months writing messages based on the revelation that they, you know, they just spoke out in, in two minutes. And I thought, God, I'd really love to be a prophet. You know, and I did try that a little bit, but um, I realized I took more than practice to be a prophet. <laughs> yeah, when you're outside your flow, life can be hard. Amen. Sounds like somebody, somebody else, somebody out there has tried that and realized the same thing. But when you're in your flow, life is easy. You're operating the supernatural. You're operating in the power of God, and you will have abundant food and fulfill the will of God for your life. There's a quote I have here. A man called Howard Thurman said, "Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go and do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive." That's what the world is looking for. People who have come alive. People who are walking in their grace. Who are walking in their flow. When you walk in that flow and you own it and leverage it, you will walk in wealth. Because we have the testimony of the word to confirm that. So the grace of God is extended towards you. The grace of God is at work on the inside of you. But God desires to manifest that grace through your life. Grace coming towards you. Grace in you. And grace through you. As I conclude, let's turn our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 10. I love this passage. It says, as each one, everyone says it, everyone say each one. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. I love that. It is saying each one of us is a recipient of the operation of the grace of God. Each one of us is a recipient of the activity of the power of God. 
The power of God is at work on the inside of each one of us. Each one of us is a vessel carrying the operation of the supernatural. Peter says, as each one has this working of God on the inside, let everyone use them. It says, minister it to one another. The word minister is the Greek word diakonos, which means to serve with it. The purpose of your gift, the purpose of that power of God, that power of God that is at work within you freely has been given to you that you may freely share it with others. It says that each one has received. Let him serve. You know, the best companies in the world are those who excel at service. The best restaurants in the world are those that offer exceptional service, both in terms of the product quality and the delivery. You know, when I turned 40 a few years ago, I began to think about my legacy. I don't know what it is, but, you know, once you hit that age, you begin to think, you know, what is my legacy? And everyone thinks about it at some point in their lives. But, you know, your legacy is not what you leave behind in terms of buildings. Your legacy is what you share with the world. You know, I can go to a gallery and, um, you know, go and look at some, you know, wonderful paintings, Renoir, Kandinsky, whatever, or listen to some you know, lovely jazz or classical music. Or I can, you know, listen to a tape of Brother Hagen or Catherine Coleman or watch a, a video. These are all people who identified their grace and let it flow through them to bless the world. The legacy you leave behind is the sharing of the grace that you have been given to the world. That is your legacy. It's how you took the power of God that got invested on the inside of you, how you leveraged it and shared it in the service of humanity. We all know the parable of the talents. The master was going to a far country and he called three of his servants. He gave one five talents, one two talents and one one talent. The guy with five talents, you know, took the five talents and traded it. He invested those talents, didn't he? And he, he, he made another five. And the guy with two took the two, invested it, and, and made another two. But the one that had one just took that one and hid it, didn't he? And then when the master came back and the master was rewarding the others, he called the one with one talent and said, you know, what do you do with my talent? And the guy said, you know, master, I was afraid. I took your talent and I hid it. Now, remember what the master called him. He called him a wicked and lazy servant. Now, now, wicked is a very strong word, isn't it? He said, you're a wicked and lazy servant. Now, now, the servant said, but master, I was afraid. But fear was not a, uh, a valid, wasn't an accepted excuse, was it, for the master? Now, you can understand working for somebody who, you know, likes to reap where he didn't sow. And you're afraid of, you know, um, messing everything up so you don't invest it. But the master said, well, that's not acceptable. You should at least have put it on in a deposit. And I would have, you know, I'd have gotten, you know, a little bit more than inflation on it. He called him a wicked and lazy servant. Now, why was this servant wicked? He was wicked because he deprived the world 
of the grace he had been given to share. The activity of the power of God on the inside of you is not for you. It's for the world. And God does not cast pearls before swine. The husbandman will be first partaker of the fruits. The husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth. He can't expect fruit if he hasn't planted any seeds. But the good news is that those seeds are on the inside of us. And God is going to make a demand on those seeds he has planted. Because the activity of God's grace on the inside of you is for the world. And if you don't invest that grace, if you don't share that grace, if the world can benefit from that grace, on the day of judgment he will call us wicked. Because we deprive the world of such precious grace. The next generation is meant to stand on the shoulders of this generation. The next generation should not have to get the same revelation that God has given in my closet. I should document it in books and tapes and on television. So they can take that as seed and they can stand on the shoulders of this generation for the next. Are you with me? Now if you and I do not, if we don't plant the seeds that God has given us by, by leveraging and sharing... Then we're wicked because the next generation is deprived of that. The Bible calls the servant lazy. Because he refused to till his land. Fear was not a tenable excuse. You know concerning fear I came across this quote by Marianne Williamson. This is a quote that's credited to... Um, uh, it's it actually Marianne Williamson that, that wrote this. It says our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, to be gorgeous, to be talented, to be fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your plain small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel secure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear. Our presence automatically liberates others. You know, one man of God once said that breakout happens in clusters. You know, when one person breaks out, everyone else now understands that they have permission to break out as well. The world is waiting for you to break out. The world is waiting for you to take that seed of greatness that God has given you and plant it. The world is waiting for you to own your own value and leverage it. The world is waiting for you to share the grace. That has already been invested on the inside of you. Fear is not an excuse. We need to find our place of value. We need to own it. And we need to share it with the world. You know it's not just the grace of talent that we have been given. You know those of us who have freely received grace should feel freely share grace. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.32 through to 5.1. We have so freely receive forgiveness we should 
easily share forgiveness. We have received so much love from God. We should lavish that love on other people. People that have been great recipients of grace should be great distributors of grace. You have received such great gifts on the inside of you. Freely share those gifts for others to be satisfied with it. You know, I don't know if I gave this example when I was last here. But you know, I've got a cousin who, um, who lives in, 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 uh, in, that, in Texas. He lives in, in Plano. I mean, this guy and I, we grew up together. And his family was not as you know, well-to-do as ours. I mean, my parents went wealthy. But, you know, we're comfortable as kids. And he was a cousin of mine. But, but his family weren't doing as, as well as ours was. And, you know, he went through his, um, his high school but his family didn't have the funds to send him to university. Um, but what happened was a friend of his brother came into town. I was living in Nigeria at the time. And a friend of his brother, um, his elder brother, came into town. He was a wealthy business guy. And he, he saw this cousin of mine. And, and he realized how intelligent he was. So he asked his parents' permission if he could you know, be his, his mentor. So this guy took my cousin got him a ticket, sent him to England, and um, say, uh, he, he paid for his university education. Uh, he paid for his master's education. And afterwards, he just let him go. He didn't ask for anything in return. Sounds like grace, doesn't it? There are no strings attached. You know, sometimes you know, you've got to be wary of favors because they come with all these strings attached. You know, he just, you know, he just did all this stuff and let him go. And my cousin, you know, he was based in England at the time, you know, he, went on to become, he went on to become very successful. He moved to the U.S. He works in, in Dallas right now. He's got his home. He's got a lovely family, etc. But what is interesting about this guy is that whenever I call him, there's always somebody in his home. There's always somebody he's looking after. There's always somebody he's sponsoring through school. There's always somebody, you know, there are a couple of people, you know, who had AIDS and he was, he was frantically going all over the place trying to purchase um, you know, this expensive HIV medicine for them. And they were based in Africa and he was, he was spending all this money. And, and, I, and I just stepped back a little bit and thought, why is he always doing this? He, he realized that he was a great recipient of grace. And you know that grace, I like to use the word, grace can damage your life. It's meant to damage your life in a positive way. You know, Paul said that the love of God constrains me. He said, it's the love of God that compels me. I have been such a recipient of lavish love that I can't help myself. I've got to exercise it. I might look like a fool to you, but it's because of the love I have received from God. Great recipients of grace ought to be great givers of grace. Ladies and gentlemen, you've received much grace. Much grace is at work towards you. Much grace is at work in you. Be givers of much grace. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the word of God. Father, we thank you because um, the entrance of your word gives light and gives understanding to the simple. Father, we, we know that it's not the hearers of the word that are blessed, but the doers of your word. So help us, Father, to be doers of your word. We, we stand against this illusion of limited resources. We stand tall in the presence of God, understanding that your grace is extended towards us. We don't have to run away from you. We run towards you. Lord, we thank you, O God, because your grace is already at work within us. Already at work within us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see what we already have. 
those gifts and talents we've ignored, which we've assumed not to be uh, profitable in this present age. Lord, Lord, bring them back to our remembrance. Lead us to people who can mentor us, to show us how to own and leverage our value, that we may fulfill your destiny for our lives and we may have abundant food. Lord, show us how we can be great givers of grace. I don't know if there's anyone here this evening who has run away from God because they felt that they weren't good enough. 